Right, do you want to try six? Say something into the microphone. Can you think of something to say? Say mama. That's my girl. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts. Hi everyone, it's uh, me, Tim Clare here. Hey Sukes. I'm here with my daughter, Suki, uh, who's helping me record the intro for this episode. I had a chat with my friend, the author Alexander Gordon Smith. Yes. Yeah, that's called a pop filter. Um, <laughs> it is silly. I had a, I, I had a chat uh, with my friend uh, Alexander Gordon Smith, who's also an author. Uh, wouldn't normally be of interest to you, except that I recorded it. Now coming to edit the interview, I'm See, it's not really an interview. It's more a chat between two friends. And uh, the nature of that becomes apparent. Uh, Gordon is a brilliant author and he's wonderful at talking about the craft. Uh, <laughs> when he's allowed to get a word in edgeways. Uh, I was so relaxed in the conversation that um, I didn't let him um, give him any opportunities to speak, unfortunately. And that only really became apparent to me when I listened back and um, heard how enthusiastically I talked over him. Also, I'm very aware of my tendency to use the word like as a filler so I'm, I'm getting better at these things and improving my tech skills as well in terms of getting levels right but um i'm painfully aware of the shortcomings of uh my ability as a as an interviewer and i hope over time doing the show uh you'll stick around with me and i'll get better at that but i'm um, just to say you know I'll, I'll have gordon back in future and i'll shut up more while he talks Sukes, are you slapping me in the face See, you're, you're, you're shaking my rig. I love you, baby. Um, do you want to say anything, Sukes? So is there something you want to add? Sukes is right at the beginnings of language at the moment. She has two words. She can say mama. She can, <coughs> you can say dada. And that's just about it. And you can say Buddha, Buddha as well. <coughs> yeah, I think she's saying Buddha, which is exciting. Um. So anyway, look, just um, here be dragons, basically. If you'd like to listen, uh, it's just two mates chatting about stories and being enthusiastic. But I understand if you might want to skip it. If you find if you find me annoying, that isn't going to change within the conversation that follows. Uh, thanks very much. OK, Sukes, let's go and get you some tea. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and I'm joined today by Alexander Gordon-Smith, author... Hello, Gordon. Um, <laughs> author of uh, things including the uh, wonderful Furnace series. So, um, Thank you. Gordon, we're going to chat writing. We are. Uh, we're, in, um, we're, we're in my house and if it sounds a bit echoey, that's because um, the walls... This room has only just been built. And um, we're surrounded by plaster walls, and uh, but we've got these, but we we've got like one part of the studio is really, really intensely uh, complicated. We've got reflection filters, but we're in a room completely made out of plaster as well. So <laughs> that's why there's incredible echoes. But we're not um, sound technicians, but we are writers, and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so Gordon, we I, mean, I don't want to like jump into kind of writing, but we're what. So, are you working on something at the moment? That's what I'm like. I, I, we, we, we'll start here. Yeah, always. Yeah, I'm always working on something. Always working on several things. Actually, I think that's one of my problems uh, with writing is uh, the big shiny new idea. My favourite part of the writing process is it? Yeah, ideas are, are the thing that interests me, and I'll have them all the time. All the time, I will have these ideas, and the first thing I want to do is sit down and write them. So I will do. I've got about twenty 
uh, ongoing books on my computer at the moment in various stages. Some of them are a page, some of them are a chapter, some of them are 40,000 words. And I have a, a, a huge block at the moment when I sit down. It's like, have you ever seen that episode of The Simpsons where, where Monty Burns gets diagnosed with every illness and they're all jammed perfectly in the door frame? <laughs> I sit down and I feel like that. All these ideas rush at me and they get stuck. <laughs> but, you, so, yeah. but, you, but, but you, it sounds like... Um... Because I, I think, yeah, that there's, I, I, there's not two types of writing, but for the purposes of this argument, let's say, because I'm, and, and wonderfully, I'm the opposite. So, <laughs> so, so we can, we can represent both. Because a lot of people um, talk about these things, and um, a, a lot of writers, I think, when they're not just when they're starting out forever, except when we've been doing it for a while, we start lying about how difficult we're finding it because we want to look like we know what we're doing. Um, so every, everyone's starting out going, God, I can't wait till I'm a professional writer. I don't have these problems. Everybody has them. They're lying to you sometimes because they feel embarrassed. But it sounds like you say you've got these files. So you've had the ideas, but you do, even if you haven't got time to do anything with them, they're all things that you've like made a little note of so you catch it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's... And it's not just the idea that interests me. It's always that opening scene. And for me, an idea will, will come to me with an opening scene. So I'll have that opening chapter and I'll see what's going on. And that's the bit I love to write. And that's the bit I get down. And, and it's, yeah, it's that initial surge of energy and enthusiasm that very quickly wanes when I realise I have no idea <laughs> what's going on or, 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 what, or who it's happening to. Um, so you're a, so you're a, you're a, you're a pantser then? Is that like I, your oh, thing? Oh, an like... absolute pantser, absolute pantser. I always think... Uh, uh, yeah, I think if I know what's going to happen to the characters, if I spend too much time planning their lives, they know what's going to happen. And then they get really cocky uh, because they know they're going to live to the end of the book. Or they get really kind of demoralised because they know they're going to die in like chapter four. And, uh, uh, I've definitely read big fantasy novels where it's clear that the author had done, had planned what the, the, what the story was going to go like beforehand. And then I, I feel like you can tell when something's been uh, overplanned. Yes. Because my problem with planning is when I jump down into the novel, I get into the scene and I'm going, okay, she's going to be in the room and then she's going to um, surrender because there's like five guys with guns. Mm -hmm. And I get to that scene and I look at it and I go, I don't think she, yeah. why wouldn't, why wouldn't she, why does she think, she doesn't think they're going to shoot her. She knows they need that information out of them. She didn't think that they're going to shoot her. So why would she... Yeah. No, she's going to try and shoot that guy. But then I'm, and you're like, but if she does that, none of the rest of these chapters work, right? <laughs> that screws everything up. And so when I feel like a, 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 um, a author is overplanned, you have the, you, you, there's like, there'll be that telltale line in the character's yeah. head. Um, and I think they call it on, on, on TV tropes, they have this thing called the Turkey City, City Lexicon, which is like a bunch of terms that came up from the Turkey City writers group about things that they kept right. finding in their work and they had this thing called it's called a signal from fred and it's like <laughs> if one of your characters goes like but this doesn't make any sense then sometimes it's your subconscious saying to you <laughs> this bit doesn't make any sense yep. and i like you often see that in the writing the character will go she could she could just call the bluff but no that that wouldn't be a good idea because what if they were serious? And you go, oh yeah, and and like you often get those like little sort of like insurance lines that the authors yeah. had to put in to explain why their character doesn't do the thing that secretly we're all thinking, what did they do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And for me, like, if you've gone, you know, if you haven't gone through that part of the adventure yet with the character, if you haven't, ex- if they haven't experienced the story, if they've only experienced it in planning stage, they haven't actually been there, they haven't done the things they're doing, then how can you possibly know how they're going to react? Because a character will change for a story. You know, there's that evolution of character that, that is really interesting. So a character's decision when you're at the beginning of the story, if you're, if you're planning ahead and you think, well, in chapter 14, she's going to have this, you know, you know, she's going to surrender to the gods or they're going to shoot or whatever. If she hasn't lived and changed over the course of the story as you're writing, then surely her response isn't going to be that. She's going to have, have changed her mind. You know, she's going to have changed. Yeah, because it is a bit like following a map and then not, but it wasn't like an OS map and you didn't see that like the ground goes up by like a yeah. hundred meters there. And you're like, uh, and, and when you're down in the scene, you go, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense for the, and that is a really good point that like if your character grows and develops and is interesting, then you, then you have to go through those experiences with them because otherwise you're going to get to that point and the reader could tell you what was going to happen yeah. before you do because, and then what's the point of reading the book? Exactly. If we know, if yeah. we already know, but so that, and uh, like I'm getting behind you, like I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> but on the other hand, you've just said you get all these ideas and then you get to a point and you get stuck That's with exactly, it, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and, and every writer who's a plotter, who likes to kind of graph stuff out, who writers who I'm so in, in awe of and kind of jealous of, the people I see who've taken photos of, like, they've got all these index cards with their yeah, chapters yeah, yeah. and they're moving them around. I think that's, like, so cool. Yeah. And I wish... I, well, I don't know if my brain... Do, do brains work? Like, do you think you could... Have you? Do you do any kind of planning stuff? Do you ever get to a point where you start using those tools? I have been forced to. I mean, I think... <laughs> at one wow. point, by my editor. <laughs> but no, really, with, with Furnace. So Furnace was the, the first big series that I wrote. The first series that I wrote for myself. And I had no idea what was going to happen. I, I knew that Alex, this main character, was, was going to get sent to a prison. It was going to be full of terrible things. His goal, obviously, was to get out of this prison. And I pants that completely. And I have no idea how it came together at the end. I think I knew him so well that even the times I thought I knew what was going to happen, I felt like I was chasing him through the story, uh, trying to keep up with him, you know, by writing. Um, But with the next series that I wrote, uh, The Devil's Engine, now obviously with Furnace, I sold that to a publisher, finished series, uh, because I'd written pretty much the whole thing. With my next series, The Devil's Engine, I sold that on a spec, you know, basically, so it was three chapters and the, the promise of a synopsis. And they actually made me carry out that promise and give them a synopsis. <laughs> so I ended up having to write this synopsis. Now, it was really weird because what it lost in terms of spontaneity, it gained in terms of plot. So a lot of the plot twists and things, because Furnace is very straight. It's it's a boy charging through uh, a story to get to the end. And he's got a really clear goal in it, exactly. right? Like, like, like yeah. it, it's, it, it, there's something... You, there's the real pure, like, who wants us to get out. Exactly, that's it. Prison stories are, are, are the, some of the best stories, I think, because they're so simple in that in that definition. But it doesn't mean, but it doesn't... Oh, no, oh, come, I'm going to just put a little pin in that because <laughs> there's something I want to bring, oh, okay. bring on that about something you did before. But so, because you, when you did The Devil's Engine, so what what was the advantage of, of, like, when you say more plot, it sounds, like, slightly cold, but what is what is more plot okay well so i didn't i mean i did a lot of character work on the main characters and i did have a very rough plot arc for the three books so it was a trilogy um so in the sense i I gained by plotting some of not what the main characters do but what some of the 
the secondary characters. For people so, who so don't know, is, can you say what, what happens in Devil's Edge? And look uh, no, spoilers, but what's the, yeah. the, the kind of pitch? Uh, so basically the pitch is, what if you found a machine uh, buried deep beneath the, the earth? There's a machine that's been around for, for centuries, for millennia, um, that can give you anything you want, but it will come for your soul. It's a modern t- take on the, on the Faust story. So this is that they find this ancient machine beneath the ground. It can give you anything you want. It changes the, the coding of reality to give you what you want. But at the end of 27 days or 666 hours, it basically comes to collect your soul. And that's the, there's a lot more to it. I love, I love, I, 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 I'm sort of really impressed at how when you had 666 hours, a little bit of me went, ooh! <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like, I was like, that's why, well, that's really cool. <laughs> 27 days. It seemed arbitrary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 27 days. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so uh, there are bad guys in the story. I won't say who, because this is one of the twists. So when I was writing the synopsis, at some point during the second book, I suddenly thought, well, well hang on, what if the, no, I'm going to, spoiler alert anyway, but um, what if one of the people they're working for turns out to be, a, you know, a deceiver, to be, to, yeah. to be someone they don't expect. And it, completely turn the tables now if I was locked inside that character's head running through the story trying to get to their goal I never would have seen it so it never would have occurred to me to make this this good guy a bad guy because it you know, I'd have been so uh, focused on that that charge for the end so having that kind of global view of the synopsis really changed the way that I structured the story and gave me that chance so it is full of plot twists which I think some are, some are maybe more predictable some are more surprising but they're there and they never would have been there because there aren't really plot twists in Furnace because it's all so kind of localised inside Alex's head that I, yeah, I didn't see them. I didn't have that chance to look around and say, well, what if? And uh, with, with The Devil's Engine, it was very different. So there are definite advantages to a, a synopsis. But I think, well, isn't there a famous quote that says, um, I never start a chapter without knowing how it will end, but it rarely ends that way. And yeah, I I've heard different... Nice, yeah, different variations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I think Haruki Murakami. I mean, maybe yeah, I'm I think about. that might be right. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. So what I wanted to, it, but that's really interesting because they go, because then for me it's like, well, more plot twists equals good, right? Like we yeah. think the plot twists as being, I don't, and I don't mean in the kind of full kind of M Night Shyamalan kind of like <laughs> everything you know is a lie, but that there should be moments where there's reversals and excite. On the other hand, uh. So, so it makes it sound like less plot, fewer plot twists is worse. But then I think of something like Lord of the Rings, and uh, which is, you know, for my money, a great story. Mm-hmm. It has a simple goal. We have to get this bad thing. We have to destroy the ring. It's a great verb. Like when I think about stories and you think about what is the verb of this story. Right. Like, so for Furnace, it's escape. escape. Yeah. That's a clear, <laughs> yeah. that's a clear verb. And you know when it's completed that yeah. because you're not in the jail. Whereas, you know, you can get ones that have uh, slightly harder ones. I think if you're just following it as a pantser through the story would be a verb like investigate. Right. It's like, there's a mystery and this character has to investigate what yeah. happens. That's a lot harder to do if you don't because they, there's so many ways they could go about it and there's less of a pressure. Right. And whereas if it's like kill or save or yeah. something like that. Now, I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong, but I think there's easier ones to follow through as a pantser. And Lord of the Rings doesn't really have... People, I'm sure I'm getting this wrong and people are going to go <laughs> mad, but I don't really feel it has like huge plot twists. No. There's like no. A, an identity of one or two characters that gets you revealed their heritage, mm-hmm. but I, that feels not, it's not that I think, important I think a really. wizard who, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but is that a huge, 
I mean, it's not, yeah, that's a huge twist. I don't, I don't, I mean, it's not a, tw- it's not a, it's, it's, you know, it's like in the same way that you sort of see someone get like, kind of like sh- uh, the bridge they're on gets blown up and then later it turned out they didn't die, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. But for me, like the, because I wrote, when you were talking about that, I, I wrote a scene in uh, uh, The Ice House, which is the book I'm working on at the moment. And there's one scene where I sat down, I'd had no intention of writing it. Um, and I ju- it just started with a character. Uh, they like dropped an ice axe onto the roof of a of like a, 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 a snow lodge below and it hits the roof and a guard looks up. And everything from there, I just wrote, go, following them, right. go, knowing that they wanted to get in and try and assassinate someone who's inside. Uh-huh. That's all I knew. But because they had... And I don't normally, I'm not normally able to write like that, but because they had such a clear goal, right? That they weren't like going about their daily business, yep, investigating yep. something. Um, they they had one thing they had to do and they had to not get killed while doing it. <laughs> and a, this person had to be dead and then they've done it. So, you yeah, know, it's really simple. clear, right? It's really clear what the things that they have to do. Then it became really, in, and then as like a as a writer, you're like, Okay, so how can I make this hard for yeah, them? Yeah, what, of course, what could yeah. go wrong? Yep. Which is like, as you know, like the lifeblood of all plot. Yeah, yeah. And I think if any... And I would say like anyone who's ever... Whenever you're stuck with something and you get to that point where you're like, oh, I don't know what happens next. A really good question to ask yourself is like, how could this get worse? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. the stuff that starts coming out, that immediately open questions like that are really... Great. Yeah. What's the worst thing that could happen? I guess. Yeah. Like, uh, but do you? How do you get past? So you've got one where you were sort of forced to write it, and you got well, not you. Well, you I were, know, but yeah, you know, was, you, yeah. you're forced to use a technique you wouldn't normally. Yeah. And you've got your ones where you have to kind of follow it and follow the excitement. And with furnish, it was excited. It was compelling enough that it dragged you through. What about the idea that you kind of feel there's something there, and then you get to a sticking point? Um. Because I'm sure there's loads of people who are listening who have had uh, now are like yeah. looking, yeah, yeah, looking yeah. at their kind of like documents <laughs> folder with like this feeling of guilt, just like hearing these voices yeah. kind of going, "Why did you leave yeah. me?" <laughs> it does feel like that, yeah. What, what, what you know, I I know kind of like that even makes us feel guilty because we're like, I we can't say how to deal with that because I don't know how to do it myself. But what ways have you found with projects before that have allowed you to kind of like push it past that kind of spark yeah. into into I'm now doing the work of creating a full novel. Yeah, that's a really difficult question to answer. I think for me, I've started to realise, okay, when I first started out, I felt almost like, you know, your kind of vocalisations of stories there. You feel a loyalty to a story. Yeah. So I, I still remember when I, when I first started writing, you know, properly professionally, you know, I got my first book published. I was kind of like, you know, 27, 28. Every single idea I had, I felt, right, this is going to be a book. And that's where this whole thing started. So I ended up getting, you know, getting all these ideas down. And some of those, you know, some of these ideas are kind of 10, 12 years old now because they've been with me for so long. And I, I still feel like, I still say, you know, I'm, I'm going to turn you into a book one day. And what I've started to realise now um, is basically that you, you can't, you can't do that because not every idea you have can become a book. It hasn't got that kind of, that energy. Uh, you know, not every idea has got what it takes to become, a, you know, a, a full-fledged novel. So some of them I've kind of, I've decided, well, I'll turn you into a screenplay. Some of them I've reluctantly 
just kind of drop down a dark hole and uh, you know <laughs> deep enough that I can't hear them. Um, but I think that's the key for me is is having that idea, exploring it, and then and then making that decision. Is this one of the ones I'm going to follow through, or am I going to just say, look, there's not enough here, or am I going to blend? But it how in? do you know? Because like because it's I, like you're making that decision. It's like what. What is it that identifies? And I know this this is such a broad question. We might have to like jump because again, using the Lord of the Rings as an example, and I only use it because well, I'll use it because I like it, and I think some people can be a bit snooty about it, yeah, but yeah. also just because ev- everyone knows it and understands it. But like the idea behind that, on the face of it, you go, well, that is this magic ring and these people have to try and destroy it because otherwise there's like this <laughs> yeah. dark wizard who's going to become all powerful. And then it's like, okay, so when do we see this dark wizard? We don't really. <laughs> he's kind of, well, what? So why does he need it if he's all packed? Well, it's, it's complicated. He, well, he sort of needs it to corrupt people, but he's also got some people who just work for him anyway. Um, point, and it's yeah, like yeah. there's loads. I mean, there's loads of it that like, and, and in the law that is all explained yeah. and it's fine. It's just it just gets a bit crunchy. But the the thing about it is that, that like a lot of ideas on the surface. Yeah. Of Star Wars. If you just say, well, the idea is there's some a bad empire. Yeah. Who think everyone should be controlled, and then a, a small group of rebels who think that um, the empire needs to be taken down. Like it's not that I you hear that and go that sounds rubbish. It's just I don't think. Oh my god, you've got to make that. Yeah. It doesn't. That doesn't sound better than way. the other. I mean, George Lucas didn't write that story to start with. Star Wars. I mean, I think I read some of his original script. It was completely different. Hmm. So it evolved very, very uh, rapidly. I think as they were, as he was writing and as they were filming. Weirdly, because yeah, it was nothing like it. So I think it was called Luke Starkiller. Or he something. was called yeah, 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 which which is used in the new film Starkiller Base. Ah. No, I didn't see that. It's a cool, yeah, it's a callback. Um, but what? I, okay, so like you have an idea. How do you know that this is okay, the so one this is, this that is you need to know. that you need to marry? This is <laughs> well. This is uh, this is how I do it now. I think when I come up with an idea, or before I come up with an idea, really, I think as I'm in the process of having these ideas, I kind of imagine that I'm walking into a bookshop, and it's the most amazing bookshop in the world. It's, you know, it's 20 stories high, it's, it's got wings, it's, it's, you know, it's got every single book ever written. And you walk in through the door, and right there on a plinth in front of you is a book. And it is the most amazing book that you've ever seen in your life. And you see it, and you fall in love with it, and you pick it up. And it's one of those books that you just cannot wait to get home to read. And I ask myself, is this this book? Is this idea going to be this book? And if if I can't see it in my head, if I can't see myself holding this book and the cover and this amazing story, then I say, no, it's not this one. And if I can see it, then I go off and write it. And I think it's all about that excitement. I am, I, I, um, I've started a few kind of ideas in, in the last few months and only one really got me. And, and it's, it sounds ridiculously simple. So I went off and wrote that one. And that is the one that carried me because I think the story and the characters with this book, and I ended up finishing it, in, you know, in a, I think about six weeks I wrote this book. It was, it was quite a short book. Uh, but it was the excitement. That- <laughs> Still, you can't see my expression, but it is like a pure hate that Gordon wrote anything in six weeks. I've, I, I've had poems that take me longer than that. <laughs> I, no, that's gr- no, I mean, that's great. And that's really, it doesn't, it doesn't, it actually makes me feel really excited about writing the idea that, but, um, but did you, I mean, did you, so when you had these different ideas, did you, sort of leave them to were you like leaving them to bake to see which one made 
not intentionally because that, that, that's what i tend to do i mean even with this new idea i would ha i had the idea and i wrote the first chapter within within a day i had the idea and i sat down and wrote it and i loved it and i think i do that with pretty much every single idea so i do leave some of them to bake but it's not intentional it's just because there literally isn't enough time in the day to write uh, to write them all so i ha have to be more selective but you write but you so, but you immediately try and catch like a sum yes. like like take yeah. like a swab from the yeah. idea and put it's it like down it's like the bfg in his in his dream catcher you know i feel like i'm out there and i'm catching these dreams and, and you know i immediately want to kind of write down you know not not a label as such but i want to capture that energy and capture what it's all about uh, because i feel if i don't then i lose that excitement for it and i, I i've got a very short attention span i always have and I feel like if I don't get excited about it straight away, I'm not going to be able to get it back. And I, and I think now what I've realised is looking back at all those ideas, some of them, I, I love the ideas, and it's a great concept, it's a great elevator pitch, but the excitement's gone because it's been sitting there for so long, and I've got this such this sense of dread and anxiety about ever actually doing something with it that it, I'll never be able to recapture that energy. So I think a lot of it for me is about... Is about but I have to, you know, it's so difficult finding the idea that works. It's so difficult being able to focus for long enough to, I mean, writing a novel is, I mean, you know how hard it is. I mean, I've I, been working, I mean, it's yeah. now three, it's now exactly three years since I started my, my, my latest one, which is just, which is, which is nuts. And I never meant it to last that long. I've written over a quarter of a million words, wow. at least probably 300,000 so of different. You, I mean, what, what, what do you feel is, is. So it's really interesting, everything that you're saying there about um, I've got to capture it. And it makes me actually feel like I want to maybe try approaching my stuff in a different way. Because what I do is I constantly feel, because I gave up writing for a lot, writing prose. I was still like performing performance poetry on stage and uh, writing a bit of non-fiction and reading loads but I was um, and, and performing on stage has been a really useful discipline in that you like you write something down and you get to see if you're boring people you see it in their faces like in front of you that's the best editor and you go I need to make this shorter I need to cut out all the words that aren't but um so what's what happens with me is I get an idea and it's like this it's like I've seen this beautiful sort of like butterfly or paradise yep. bird kind of flap through the window. And I'm so, I know that my first like crack at it isn't going to be where I want it to be. I right. know in my heart that I almost certainly won't just like get it in the middle of the bat first whack right. and kind of like, and, and like knock it for six. What's gonna happen is I'm gonna sort of stumble I'm gonna get the wrong. I'm I'm gonna choose the wrong ca the character. Right. I'm gonna choose this protagonist, and I haven't got their voice yet, and it's not them. I'm gonna do this scene, and it's gonna be a bit laboured. Mm -hmm. I haven't quite got the concept yet, and I'm gonna take this beautiful butterfly, <laughs> and I'm gonna just like place it under like the killing jar of my own incompetence, and I'm gonna watch <laughs> it as like the colour fades from its wings, and it dies, and and like there's this part of me that just goes maybe these ideas are more beautiful in my head where I can go, God, I've got to write that someday. Right. But I don't have to actually face the reality of what happens. Exactly like we were saying, the difference between planning and actually writing the scene. Because you get down into that scene and you go, oh, there's some stuff I didn't think about. Yeah. Yeah. There's some yeah. things that cut you go, actually, why would they do this? If, they do, if they've got this power, why don't they... You know, it's, again, it's the loitering as well. If they, why didn't they just use those giant eagles to fly straight to Mount yeah, Doom? Yeah, of course, question, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> It's like, why, why wouldn't you just do this? And and then you go, oh, and then you feel a bit sad, and then you go, oh, I just won't write it then. And it's and that is, 
fatal yeah. to writing. It is, it is. And like, you know, with uh, the honors, I had to, I did have to write a load of stuff that was not good. Um, to get so my favorite bit of writing perversely normally not at the moment but normally is when you're doing that sort of second or third draft yeah and you are like cutting bad bits and then you're making the bits that remain you're like just dropping these yeah. killer bits in and like actually the best bits i wrote of uh the last novel some of the best bits were like the final chapters I put in place when I knew the characters really well. Yeah. I knew what I wanted them to do. And I could really have, you know, I could write the scene where a character had to like escape up a chimney. And I went in, I went in this house and I stuck, I literally stuck my nice. head up the chimney to see what, the, that's that's research folks. It's like I, tr I half climbed up a chimney to see what it was like climbing up a chimney. It turns out it's just very messy, which I think, you could have told me anyway. <laughs> but like, so for me, starting, that is the big hurdle. Yeah. The big hurdle is like, oh, I don't want to start. And then there's like a second one. There's a lot of hurdles. Yeah. Me. Oh, it right is like, hurdles, yeah. but um, the second one comes over about a third of the way through when mm. there's still more to do than I've already done. Right. But it's got not quite as... So I think, despite me doing a different strategy to you, I still have the same one that you have, <laughs> which is you get to that point and you go, I've still... I've got a lot more work to go than I've already done. Is it worth it? Yeah. And then once... Because once you get to about two-thirds of the way, once you start the endings in sight, uh, then you mm -hmm. start to get, like, a momentum. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I could have, like, a finished draft of a book yeah and like yeah. it doesn't even if you're feeling pretty crappy about yourself the idea that one it'll just be finished yeah uh, but yeah, two that you've done it? like a whole novel i think even having done a few now um it it still feels like an yeah. achievement right you don't get oh, jaded you're like yeah. I've, d I've done a book like everybody knows that is a hard thing to do yeah. and you've finished it for me the it's forty thousand words is the turning point is that if i can get to forty thousand words i will finish a book um, even if that book is, you know, it could be 60,000 words, it could be 200,000 words. That is the magic number for me. And I, I, I look out for it. You know, I, I, I keep an eye on that word counter. And it is an immense feeling of relief because I, I feel that even, yeah, like you say, even though there's a lot of work to go, it feels like it's a downhill ride from now. It feels like, I guess because you're so invested in the story by that point and so invested in the characters. And actually, I think maybe this is, maybe this is why for me it, it felt different with Furnace is because that investment was there in the characters. And I guess, I guess because, I mean, to cut a long story short, you know, it was a very bad time in my life when I was writing Furnace. And I think, I, I thought that if Alex never got out of this prison, I'm never going to get out of this time in my life. So that is why it's, I, I feel like it's a more powerful character driven, not so going completely off track. No, here. I think that's but, really, no, I think that's, I think that's because, but then that's, but then are you like, cause, but you're also, you're looking back at Furnace, knowing that it's finished, yeah, knowing that true. loads of people uh, loved it and, and were excited about it in the same way that you exactly how you wanted them to be. Yeah, because I was yeah. <laughs> so I was saying to I was saying to my wife I was like I'm really I I'm finding this novel much harder than I was the original one and she was like no you're not do you not remember any of what you went yeah. through and she was like you hated writing the first one you had so many times where you're like this is rubbish i can't i do guess it. you I do block it out and, don't you? and yeah. i was like no it's like childbirth yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um she and she was like well you yeah she was like you 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 had you were 
all the way through you thought it was no good and you weren't going to finish it. <laughs> I was like, really? I don't remember any of that. Yeah. I honestly don't. And all I know now is I look at it, I know it's finished and I know it did what I wanted it to yeah. do. And sometimes when I go back and I'm checking it for like continuity yeah, stuff yeah. mainly because I can't remember my own work. <laughs> I'm like looking at it and I go, and I'll find a bit and I go, oh, oh, that's quite, that's quite a cool detail. <laughs> and it's like, whatever other people think of it it's like a book that i wrote for me yeah, you know like it gives yeah. it gives me all those little bits that's that i like really interesting yeah i think that's i think that's absolutely right i think yeah the book that you wrote for yourself i guess going back to the bookshop isn't it and the book that you really want to read because you write a book that you want to read don't you and, and i think that was the same with with, with furnace so you uh, whereas uh, yeah that's really interesting. Do you, so do you think do you think if you write a synop a synopsis that it feels or do you think that makes it feel more like a job? To uh, you? Do you know? I, I was about. I was going to say that earlier. Um, yeah, I, I think it does in a way because you're writing in a synopsis to sell a book to a publisher, and I, for me, that took a lot of the. It, it gave a lot to the book, but you know, I had less invested in those characters because I knew where they were going. I, I made it very clear to my publisher. I said, "Look, this is a synopsis from where I am now. It might completely change," and they said, "That's fine. It's just for the sales team. It's just so we can show them we've got something." And it, but I felt so locked into that idea of the story that it ended up being that way anyway now devil's engine you know i, I love that story I, I, you know I, I put a lot into it but it hasn't done as well and it hasn't had people because people really identify with alex in furnace i get fan mail about it all the time oh this guy is me you know i and nobody has said that about devil's engine even though kind of marlo the the main protagonist in devil's engine is kind of similar to alex in lots of ways but he doesn't have that he doesn't have that kind of energy and, and realism to him. And I, I'm wondering if that was, if that's why it's because I knew so much of what was going to happen to him that I was less invested in making him experience it himself. And whereas Alex, I was there in the heat of the moment. I really feel that this is something talking about memories. You know, I don't remember, a, I'm going to make you sick here, but I wrote Furnace in three weeks, 70,000 book in three weeks. Um, and weirdly it didn't. Oh, I hate <laughs> you so much. I, 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 am, I would, I would like I I would love to write a book a, a, a book in three one day. Well, no, just no, I feel yeah. motivated. Yeah, it's just fine. do it. But I didn't think too hard about the language. It was all about getting to the end of that book because, like I said, it was very tied in with my own mental health at the time. Um, so you know, I wrote it in three weeks. It was a very it was blistering. It never had a structural edit. Nobody changed a single thing in it. So something in my head was so engaged with that story and so kind of connected to that character that I wrote it. I'm not going to say perfectly because it's got a lot of faults in it in, in lots of other ways. But in terms of the actual story, it was as perfect as I ever could have made it. And I think it was it was because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I, I wanted to know what was going to happen. And I wanted to find out what was going to happen in the end of the story. So I just wrote and wrote and wrote until it happened. But also you, but, you, but in terms of plot, the people who are listening are either feeling the sort of same <laughs> kind of not like tearing up their uh, everything they've ever written going, I am not cut out for this. But um, there's this, but like, you had a character yeah. who had a very clear problem. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like there's no, you don't just get a character go, because, you know, I, I suppose for people who are writing lit fic, or, or, you know, if you're just writing a lot of, you know, a lot of fantasy novels or science fiction or whatever, you don't have a character who's like, um, it's not like one person. You often have a cast. Yep. They're often doing a bunch of different things it'll be an abstract problem like war is coming from the yeah, east yeah, yeah. um which can all be super cool right mm -hmm. but like if you're going to write something that's going to have that like like sense of direction and you can sit down and just like ride that wave having 
like a single ca- obviously then he m- m- encounters other people but all from inside his head he's all first person so yeah. yeah very different but he's but he's in a situation where he has a, yeah. a clear goal yeah. and, and and but I, so this is and this is actually brings me around to what I want because you're saying like but you need a character to develop with you and so people listening might think well yeah but if you just have a character who just has a very clear goal that um for a lot of the for a lot of the book won't change does that mean you can't have any character, character development? Yeah. But for me, what changes is you go, okay, you can get closer to this goal, but what are you willing to do? That's exactly right. That's exactly and right. And that's yeah. where it gets interesting, yeah. right? Because then you go, oh, cool. So you want to you want to do this, right? Yeah. Let's actually see what your values are. Yeah. Is yeah, yeah. escape your highest value or do along the way you, you know, I, I yeah. don't want to give sort of serious spoilers, but do you learn? No, but, <laughs> do you, but but also do you learn other things about what's going on? So like there is a yeah, bigger exactly, problem because yeah. there is a bigger problem than just him being incarcerated, oh, yeah. right? And, so and the fourth book is called Fugitive. So you know, you know, yeah. you know, he kind of gets out. You know, sorry guys, but um, yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And you know, it, and that is the exact point behind character growth, isn't it? Because Alex is framed for murder. That's how he gets sent to Paris, and he's st- he's not a nice guy. He's a criminal. He's a bully. He's a horrible guy to start the book, but he never kills anyone. Until he's in furnace. So the things he does to escape are, you know, uh, arson, murder, you know, uh, assault. Um, it, these are horrible things that he's forced to do. But is it better to do a, a bad thing for a good reason or a good thing for a bad reason? I don't know. I think, so but those are really questions. interesting yeah. questions, <laughs> right? Yeah. So he does, he grows. Well, I don't know if you call that character growth, but you'd certainly call that character change. But yeah, the reasons he does them. Oh, it's character, and it's character choice. I mean, yeah, that's, the, yeah, yeah. That, that's the important thing, isn't it? That these characters, because it, and it's what I always, as much as it, because I wrote like a whole scene in, in the latest uh, book. This isn't a spoiler because I've cut it. <laughs> but, and I hate saying that I cut it, but it had, um, it had like, the characters had like shotguns and they had like a full, like, uh, uh, they had a, had a full like a mini gun. Wow, you cut it. The scene yeah, I know. <laughs> um, there were like. Uh, fungus zombie there were like zombies <laughs> Amazing, yeah. and like a giant mech and so they were like mowing down zombies and like nice. uh, and then fighting a mech with like a mini gun and like solid slug shotgun shells right in my head that's like really exciting scene right yep. I was like the, you know lightning uh, you know think doors being punched through <laughs> underground tunnel so I was like all of this is exciting but there's, there's... so and when I read it back because I, I needed stuff to cut anyway because the book was way too long. But when I read it back, I was like, none of, it was weirdly flat. It was not an exciting right. scene to me. And I read it back and I was like, these characters are not at any stage given a a difficult yeah. decision. There was no, like, yeah. like shooting a bunch of, and it's not like, I, I can enjoy a scene of like a minigun chewing down zombies oh, totally, as much yeah. as anyone. But like, one, I don't think we really thought in that moment that they were going to all get killed. Yeah. But two, like, it wasn't a difficult decision because they weren't... It was just like sh- shooting fungus. It was yeah. just like shooting mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you sh- And then you shoot a mech with a, a shotgun and it just gets knocked, but it doesn't... Yeah. Nothing... And, and, and actually, there, there was no... It's not even character growth, but there wasn't even any... They didn't even have to make, like, smart choices. I yeah. think they weren't very well-blocked scenes either. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just, like, oh, shooting, so running, block, or running actions, away. Yeah. You know, like... 
if you get to have a character make a, like a smart choice yeah. that gets them out of a scene, it doesn't matter that it wasn't a moral choice. They yeah, can do something yeah, yeah. really cool and smart using the environment or using stuff that we've yeah. seen introduced before, or using yeah, yeah. one of their personal skills that we know they're super good at. <laughs> yeah. But like, it didn't have any of that. And it didn't have, there wasn't, a, in this particular scene, they were kind of like harbingers of the villain. Right. But they weren't, there was no like sub-villain who they could like have some personality yeah. clash with. It's like why, like in most zombie movies, like the baddie ends up being Human, not yeah. the zombie, but yeah. like the traitor with inside the yeah, camp, right? Absolutely, yeah, because there's no thrill in killing a zombie, is there? Make that zombie someone who you used to know, then suddenly yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, make it so that you know, uh, I don't know. So you know, maybe get someone who make that that's the first time they've killed a zombie. That could be like an emotional moment. But yeah, mowing down loads of zombies. Yeah, there's no, there's, I don't know, there's no kind of escalation, is there? It's, it's no. Just, uh, it's just zombies. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I and mean, look at the best villains in zombie stories. They are all human. It's, yeah, it's it, so weird. Well, like, and it's like in Aliens as well. I, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's totally, tr- it, it, it's, it becomes, well, you know, I was re-watching it. And it's like, oh, like the alien queen is not the baddie. No, she's really. awesome. <laughs> she's kind yeah. of like, it, by the end, Ripley has... Given her a, a, a grudging respect, in fact, I think Burke. the, the it's Burke, isn't it? Is yeah, it's name? Burke. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Carter Burke yeah. is like he's the he represents Wayland Utani. He's yeah. the one who gets Ripley to go on the convinces her to go on the mission in the first place. Yeah. In the extended cut, you see him trying to win her over, and um, and you know Ripley has that line. She says, "You know, Burke, I don't know which species are worse." At least you don't that's see right. them fucking each other over for a percentage. Is that's her line, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 the alien queen is a mother yeah. as well. That's the other yeah. thing. Is it's an intelligent. It, the other aliens are 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 sly, but they're not intelligent in yeah. the same way mm-hmm. because we see Ripley threaten to burn the alien queen's eggs. Yeah. And the background to the whole story is Ripley has woken up years after years in cryogenic storage to discover her daughter, daughter is dead yeah, exactly. and she's saving um she's newt yeah, yeah another daughter, daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and so her that whole her whole thing with the alien queen yeah. is they are two mothers trying to protect yeah. their children which is why it's such an amazing film yeah, yeah. so that's <laughs> but that but that, but that is not just that is why that is a good scene. Yeah. But that's and my scene wasn't, right? <laughs> yeah, but it is, right? Yeah, because yeah, it didn't yeah. mean anything to the yeah. main character. It didn't have any resonance. It wasn't bringing them up against yeah. some <laughs> part. I mean, if you are being... Because you could have... The, the zombies can just be like uh, a natural disaster, yeah. right? <laughs> and the character can be... Has always struggled with fear. Yeah. And they have to overcome that fear to run past the zombies. Or yeah, maybe perfect. even just walk. They've discovered that if they cover themselves <laughs> in zombie guts, <laughs> right, yeah. the zombies can't smell them. But you have to be able to... Yeah. walk convincingly through them without sweating so much and giving off so much adrenaline yeah, that they yeah. realise you're alive because yeah. then you get a centre. Like, that's really interesting because then it's like, I've always struggled with anxiety. Yeah. I, I'm making this about me again. But like, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. And then we have this scene. You can have a really compelling scene where a character, oh my God, like watching the film Moon... And the guy has yeah. been making like was it like he's carving or making a matchstick model of something on the table? Yeah, yeah. I was so invested in that not getting smashed. <laughs> I was looking at it going, and it's funny how you can have a character who like makes a 
like a like a papier mache volcano for show and tell, and they're like a little kid, and you and you see like the scene of like a little yeah. montage of them building it, yeah. and like maybe there's some like you see angry parents around, like things aren't great in there, like, yeah. and they're just fastidiously days and days like we see this montage of them building it, yeah. like doing it by light. At You're night. so invested in that papier mache yeah. volcano, and then, aren't and, you? then and then you see them carrying it into the school, and there's k- bigger kids and going you know around something's them. Something's gonna happen. <laughs> And that can be just as intense as yeah. someone being held to a wall with a knife to their throat, can't it? I read a story once, years ago, about, it was, I think it was about a nun, and the whole story was about the fact that she had something stuck in her teeth. And like, the whole, it was like, <laughs> you literally read this story thinking, get it out your teeth, get it out your teeth. And it is such a, and obviously, there's, like you say, there's more going on. There's, you know, there's a family life, there's, there's, there's problems in this character's life. But for that story the, the you know it's about so it's, it's something so meaningful simple. to the character yeah isn't I mean, it? exactly so yeah yeah that's a really interesting point that though yeah there's nothing invested in, in that scene with the zombies yeah re- really really weird so how yeah so i guess you look at a scene like that and say how can i make it difficult for them how can i make it uh, hard for them not just physically not just in terms of them escaping but how can i make it emotionally difficult for them so is one of the zombies related to them or well i wrote i wrote a zombie book i'm just gonna i'm just gonna yeah, throw yeah, that yeah. in there yeah. and so with the fury the thing that turns people into zombies is you your physical presence turns everyone else around you into an enemy but they're only an enemy for as long as you're there as soon as you leave the room or as soon as you escape they they go back to normal so you can't kill these zombies because they're your friends they're your family the only way you can you can kind of get out of the situation is by is by dying in which case they go back to normal or by uh, or, or by escaping so it, it you know you can't just grab a minigun and, and, and shoot your whole yeah. family no matter how kind of a, how, how badly you get on with them you can't it's not something you can do but um yeah so you've got to find that uh that, that personal element i guess yeah because i suppose there's because and we're i'm also just thinking about how ideas there's ideas that are about a so um the the book um this is Orson Orson Scott Card's Mice Quotient I think it oh, comes right. into right that he talked about I mean it's they're such stupid words but they spell the word mice so it's fine but like <laughs> saying that basically that the, the, there's four types of s- science fiction story stories oh, there's, okay. um but every story is has got like different level like like kind of like a a, a kind of um it, it's they're like different levels that can be yeah, up and yeah. down. They're not mm-hmm. all one thing. So you have milieu stories, Ooh. which is kind it's of not what like I was thinking, um, you have uh, idea-based stories, character stories, and environment stories. Ah, so like I think milieu okay. is kind of like the societal world. Right, right. Idea <laughs> is like what if dogs uh, could shoot mind control rays out their bums? Bagsy. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh damn! I forgot the Bagsy rule. Um, Next bestseller in the bag. Um, uh, character is just obviously character-led, yeah. mm-hmm. and environment is you. We touched down on a planet that is yeah. completely made of lava, but has small islands that yeah. you can live on. Yeah. So, and, and but he's saying every story has different levels, and he felt like um, some stories turn out badly because the uh, character um, misunderstands. Uh, the writer misunderstands what kind of story they were writing. Right. Yep. Do you know what yep. I mean? Yep. So they try and write, ah, they try, see, they, yeah. they think they're writing an idea, they think they're writing an idea story, so they write all about the world and actually what was interesting was this one character experience. Yeah. So yeah, because it's weird, because that's difficult. So in that in that sense, what would Furnace be? Because it is a character-driven story, but it's all about that environment. It's the prison. I mean, the brilliant thing, I think we, we talked about this earlier, the brilliant thing about prison stories, what makes them so easy is you can put anyone inside a prison story, even if they're the worst person in the world, and you still root for them because the prison itself is such 
a good bad guy on its own right. Even if there was no one else in that prison, you you are you are uh, you are you know you you don't want to empathise with the prison. You want to empathise with whoever's in there. So, yeah, that's difficult. But it's still needed. But I put it to you that you could have written Furnace with the same rules of the world and made it super boring. Like yeah. I think you could you <laughs> could challenge have, accepted. Yeah, <laughs> but like you could have had there could be characters in it that are less invested right there could uh, be yeah. you know certain people for whom the it mean it, it the, the being in there i mean there's no one who's locked up this like <laughs> this is this is meaningless situation but there's yeah. definitely yeah. you had a char- you you chose a character who was had not kind of like given into um despair this yeah, is someone who yeah, wants yeah. to like get out because you can be, definitely yeah. you, you you know you can have situations where because I, I, that was actually something with the first draft of what I'm writing at the moment. Um, I, Delphine, the main character from The Honours, is mm-hmm. in it. And I just realised that I'd created kind of like a, a nice roller coaster for her, where mm-hmm. at the beginning of the story she got to sit in it. And then events just like took her all the way through right. it. So she and didn't really She have didn't that. have that many decisions. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times people would go, you need to come and do this. And she'd kind of go... I don't do that no more. <laughs> and then and then they'd go, come on, we need you. And she'd go, oh. all right. <laughs> and just none of what made her an interesting character, yeah. which is basically about her stepping in and like, her, just like causing trouble, right? Yeah. Her growth in the in the honest is amazing. Like you really get the sense that she's a real person, and I, I love that. I think that is that is the the most compelling thing in the book is her growth from that person we see at the beginning to the you know to this this person we see at the end. And um, so, did you? I don't think I asked you this. Do you plan your books in the sense that you sit down and write a, a detailed plan, or are you kind of a semi plan? Or with the honors, I wrote two thirds of it, and then I went, oh shit. I, I don't quite know but I wrote it all out of order I wrote all these scenes because of the nature of the early bit which is kind of like a mystery with some quite a lot of atmosphere yeah. Yeah, building yeah. I wrote all these scenes out of order of just Delphine being at this country house and it feeling weird and then I look, and then I looked at what I had and I was like how do I bring this home and then and I knew I was building towards and actually, like, I think the structure of the book in the end ended up feeling, I would never have planned this, but it ends up feeling a bit like, appropriately, like a bat's echolocation ah, as it gets closer right. to something. Because the time frame starts off with, like, you get chapter one and then the next chapter happens, like, three months later. Yeah. Then the next chapter happens a month later. Then the next chapter happens, like, two weeks later. Then one week later. Mm-hmm. Then half a week later. Then a day later. Then That's an hour really later. Yeah. Until eventually it's it's updating you every minute. Right. Um, and so it, like, goes... Yeah. And as sort of shit gets real and suddenly we need to track things minute by minute because we don't know whether people are going to live minute to minute. So that, for me, was something that... But I, but then that was something that I couldn't realise that structure was there until I'd written a bunch of stuff yeah. and see it and then build around it. And then there's bits that don't fit that that you chop yeah, off. There yeah. was also scenes that when I, you then have the structure and you like start slotting the scenes into this idea of a structure, you go, I've got three scenes where this character just like walks around a pond feeling worried. <laughs> and so you just go... I mean, it's, right. so the book starts off with like, Delphine shooting a like a mutant bat yeah. out of the air with a shotgun 
which you know I was quite pleased with just as an idea for yeah, the first scene yeah, yeah. but that wasn't what <laughs> that wasn't how I wrote the first scene what I actually wrote for the first scene was her just shooting a shotgun into an empty sky yeah. it's like a spot it's the ball of, competition yeah. right <laughs> and just like just as a kind of like oh I'm out here feeling moody and then I was just like this is dumb why don't I have a like forward, killer yeah. yeah so a flash forward where a character fires a shotgun doesn't carry that necessary uh, drama I guess, <laughs> it's uh, really uh, yeah. boring <laughs> if <laughs> that was the opening chapter just in real time I guess it would be different but, I think, yeah. and I think when you look at the structure of stuff there's so many times when you go actually this idea of like building tension I think is so overrated and so misunderstood by me um, where I was kind of like you don't I was like, oh, I'm just going to build stuff up and build stuff up. Yeah. And actually, you're like... Mm-hmm. And I still think the novel does drag its heels a lot in kind of like saying this is what's going on. But um, I do. the more I write, the more I realise you can just like front... It's actually often much more exciting if we see what's going on like early and we know... Because once you know what the stakes are, you can judge how dangerous yeah. the situation yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. what makes you tense and afraid uh, yeah, right? absolutely you need to have some sense of, of what's happening you need to have even if it's a very kind of mild or you know anecdotal sense of what's going to happen you need to have it because the people use that analogy don't they of uh, of you know attention adding tension to a book is like blowing up a balloon but that only works if the balloon isn't like the size of a house because you're <laughs> yeah. going to be there for like you know a thousand Other, otherwise just otherwise you're just blo- blo- you're blown for a day and yeah. there's still just like a, a limp balloon yeah, on the exactly. floor right it just hasn't made any difference exactly yeah but um but yeah finding that 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 kind of uh, an adding but you said something really interesting eddie you said when you were um, when you were writing the honors, or when you're writing a book, when you do the second draft, and that's when you said when you really know your characters, or the third draft when you really know your characters. So that kind of implies that maybe you don't know them because how much character work do you do beforehand? Do you do you sit down and you you plan your characters? No, I don't do. I do. I do like. I do none. I none. do none. Uh, what I see. Really yeah. What I see is a like a set piece or a scene. Right. I see, and it probably isn't the start of the book. It might be like a couple of images. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's like, it's and it's like, it's, oh, this sounds really wanky, but it's kind of like a mood. Right. And, it, and right. it's like, uh, so, I, I mean, I'll talk about the thing that is in my, I'll talk, can I, I'll talk about an idea that's in my head yeah. that seems like yeah, fatal to the it, idea, yeah. but like, I, at the, at the moment, the pieces I've got in my head for a book, which would be short, and it would, and the thing is, I know in the translation of the page, there's, you, you discover problems with it but like for in my head right there's a book I can't connect any of these pieces right, right? and I don't know why they're there like they are but like the um, name of the book is The Dark Lord in Exile nice and it is set on an island like a volcanic style island mm-hmm. a bit like um, St. Helena oh, yeah. where Napoleon was so yeah. when Napoleon was defeated he got sent to Elba, Elba. Yeah, yeah. In, in the Mediterranean and then because it's just really close to land, he just got like picked up by his guys <laughs> and then just went back to Paris and like took over again. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> got, got in a, a bunch more fights and then got taken down at, well, he got he got sort of decisively defeated at Waterloo. Although Abba, it turns out, have been lying to me all these years. <laughs> he, in Waterloo, Napoleon did surrender. He didn't. He went back to Paris and had a bath and was a maid to resign three days later oh, by the really? government. So he didn't. Yeah. But anyway, so I, he, I didn't know that. he gets he gets sent to um, St. Helena, yeah. which is like really in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and there's this yeah. island uh, where, you know, he then spent the rest of the days of his life because they didn't 
ex- they didn't they weren't going to execute him um but they wanted him out of the way and i i really i just have got images in my head of basically a like the equivalent of like a dark fantasy necromancer nice. taken to that island and the first thing you see in the first bit of the first chapter is they are exhuming graves right. on the island because there's a few pirates that have been buried there and they want there to be no corpses on the yeah, island that he's, he's going to be left on, yeah. <laughs> right? And it's all told through his, like, um, his, like, lieutenant, his number two, right. his, like, loyal butler guy who's on the island with him who thinks this, who still thinks this Dark Lord can do no wrong. But, yeah, like, he's, amazing. like, in the, yeah. and he's in these, but that's all I have is, like, views of like the dark lord like writing by gaslight in right. like an like this kind of sad quite broken figure like the 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 bear sea now that is not a plot that is not like that's like i'm like going there's like three people on an island and there's nothing going on like yeah. the big story is over yeah yeah i like that I like but like that, yeah. but that but that that's what i've got and so like the and then said so like it's always like so I don't have what always excites you, which is like that idea of like, that, yeah. here's the first scene yeah. that we get yeah. that, that tempts the, 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 the audience, the reader, and they go, fuck, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Like, I don't have that. And so I, and, and that's always the hard bit for me is engaging with that and going, what is, and now I can, you know, off the top of my head, I can think of loads of inciting incidents. I think the thing, it would be like a, a you know, it's like Lord of the Flies, like a corpse washes up. Yeah, yeah, beach. yeah. <laughs> and maybe that can be animated, but also maybe it's got the armour of, like, it appears to have, like, of his, like, loyal guard. Does Ooh, that mean, like, uh, war yeah. has, they've got no contact with, it? is some kind of, like, rebellion going out? He might yeah. be sort out again. I don't know. But, like, for me, uh, it takes me ages to get to the, to the meat of, right. here's the beginning. And, and, and a lot of the early stuff I write is just, irrelevant crap that I yeah cut 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 until I get that first scene because I don't want to spend ages just feathering my nest yeah, I want to get yeah, that yeah. first scene where something goes wrong and later on we can find out who the characters are oh, yeah. but I want to see a character with a problem in a specific world that yeah. feels real and interesting an interesting environment and then we go shit how are they going to get out right. of this and then later on we can find yeah. out the rest but it takes me ages to get to that. And yeah. that's the thing that I find stressful and difficult. And it takes a lot of faith as a writer as well. And I yeah. think like, but if you're writing that way, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of, I want courage is too much, but it takes a lot of kind of, um, you need a lot of stamina to get yeah. through the bit where you're just yeah. producing something that you know isn't a story yet. Yeah. It's, you haven't got to that bit where you just go, because for me, all the best writing flows out of the scenes where the characters want something the most. Yeah. Then the course, quality yeah. of the writing that I'm putting on the page is always better. Yeah. yeah. It's always better mm-hmm. because the characters, you don't have to go, oh, what's going to be a cool bit of interesting, valid bit of dialogue here? Because the characters are just speaking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's how it kind of all falls out. So I think that's, that's the tricky thing for me is getting, is getting to that stage and trusting. So I, and 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 because because you, you might suck it and see for a while, and then yeah. just go. This doesn't. This doesn't work. I can't find the extra thing, you yeah. know, and and I don't mm-hmm. care about it enough. So it's it's difficult for me because to discover whether I, an idea is good, I have I have to go through a, and, I, and an awful idea and a brilliant idea. 
will will both look the same uh, for a while yeah, to me. Like yeah. they'll both be a bit like yeah, until you start the character starts. Lip. Do you think it's a bit like you know how we kind of like this? It'll sound <laughs> weird now, but you know how we have like um. Uh, simulations of everyone we know in our head. So yeah, like you, when course, you can go, yeah. oh, like, does Uncle Donald like... Uh, that makes it sound like I'm talking about Donald Duck. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, oh, does Uncle Donald... Is he going to like this quiche I'm doing? And then you kind of like picture all these times when he's gone, oh, quiche, I hate quiche. And you go... I was no, disappointed. no. I wouldn't commit to it. That was the thing. And then, and because then I also felt like I was like making a kind of like Scotsman seem kind of like ill tempered and not open to new experiences. <laughs> and I was like, that's not cool. So, like, Uncle, Uncle Donald is just like a cosmopolitan guy yeah. who just turns his nose up at quiche because <laughs> he had a bad experience with an egg once. But, like, you, but you have an. Uh, and then you can imagine, and you can imagine what they do in scenes, and it's quite easy, but it takes a while. You have to have various encounters with someone for that simulation yeah. to be real. And yeah. the more longer you've known someone and the more time you spent with them, the the more sort of uh, unconscious and automatic that process is. Yeah. And maybe, for me, it's the same thing, which is that you have to spend enough time with a character for them to start with the simulation of yeah. them to start running and they yeah. and then they just start because that's a really interesting point I think that's yeah I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head you have to spend that time with them and I think the difference for some people is for me I spend that time with them before I start writing the book so I will I will ask them questions I will write scenes with them so are, can you can you go into when you when you say you will ask them questions I really want to break that down what <laughs> okay, do you mean so, so I will um I, what I'll tend to do is I'll once I've kind of thought of the idea and I've got the character in my head I will sit them down in my head and I will ask them questions and I will start very simply I will start well how old are you and they will they will give me an answer and I'll uh, what's your favorite food what's your favorite drink why is that your favorite food uh you know when was the last time you had it uh, what's your relationship like with your parents? What's your relationship like with your friends? Uh, who's your best friend? And then it'll move on. There's a, a fantastic questionnaire um, called Proust's Questionnaire, which you must have heard of. Yeah, Marcel think... Proust. Um, he didn't invent it. He just kind of did it. I don't know why it's named after him. Um, but yeah, so he had this this questionnaire. And if you, you Google it, it's got like 30 questions. And some of them are really vague. Like if you came back, what object would you be? If you came back from the dead? Um, you know, what what's your favourite animal? Who's your hero? How would you most like to die? And... That is the time that I, I build up with these characters. Um, so yeah, I, I'll ask them these questions, I'll get the answers, and as I get the answers, I start to see these little snapshots of their life, right from birth, right through to where we meet them in the story. And it's those moments that decide how the character acts in the story. Because, you know, obviously, I, 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 if you don't know what a character's backstory is like, how can you possibly know how they would behave inside a story? How do you know enough about them to know what their decisions would be? So that is the time I spend them. Whereas, whereas it sounds like with you, you spend that time with them in your first draft, getting to know the characters. Well, also, I feel like when it's like, well, how can you possibly know, how can you possibly know what their decisions would be? I think the problem, so my problem with that, not as, well, the thing that's always, it's always felt like slightly artificial asking them questions, because actually the important thing is how they would, the whole story really is how will you deal with a situation you've not dealt with before? That to me is like a definition of a story, right? It's yeah, like you go, yeah, yeah. you take a character and you go, 
Okay, Alex, how are you going to deal with being locked up underground for a crime you didn't commit? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, but, it, I knew, but I I didn't know when I started writing the story, necessarily. I wouldn't have known if I hadn't done the character work. Whether he was a coward, or whether he put other people's lives before his own, or whether he would happily eat the food in the canteen, or, you know, which is obviously no, because it's disgusting. But um, So... In doing that kind of work, and you know, I'm not saying I spent weeks doing it. I think it was it was just a few days of, of kind of quite in, intensively thinking about this character and some of the things that had happened to him in his life, and but it was it was knowing those things, and like, none of that stuff actually made it into the book. I didn't write this is his favourite food, and he had this experience, so he acted this way. So actually, but I think it was important because for me, I, you know, I thought back and thought, well. You know, he has had a criminal past. You know, he 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 stole. I think it all started when he stole some money from a kid on, in, you know, in the playground, and so he, he carries that guilt with him. And if I hadn't known about that experience, I wouldn't have known about that guilt he had from his past, which he kind of tries does his best to ignore. But that leads to a very pivotal point in the story where he actually acts against his character. But for, but I think that's where the drama comes from. It's that it's that kind of contrast between how he acted then. And how he acts now in a situation that is new, like you, like you say. And also, if you don't put those seat, if you don't do that work beforehand, then you do you end up doing what I do all the time, which is you end up just writing that scene in the in the sorry that the sirens are going past. It seems sort of like <laughs> yeah, just <drama>. too <laughs> too appropriate. Um, no, but you end up writing those awful scenes where not you personally, one does, <laughs> yeah. where where you go. Where you like go when when it, where you do like a flashback that has no purpose except yeah. it's you writing your way into the character and then those are always the bits that you cut out later yeah. on aren't they yeah absolutely yeah because it just feels like filler it doesn't have any substance it doesn't have any it, there's no grounding into that character's past it's a difficult one it's it's a, it's a difficult one to do because obviously you, sorry I'm, I've spilt iron brew all over the floor yeah. that's why I'm <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's a, a spinning iron brew is a is, isn't it offensive? This is part of my past. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I think, um, I mean, I think character could be a, a subject for a whole new uh, yeah. podcast, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, because I think there's it. so much to say about characters and about these these techniques. But it does lead us right back to where we started, which I think is, is how do you find the idea you most want to work with? And I think maybe the answer to that that I didn't think of at the time is actually, which is the one that's got the character that you're most interested in? Because I guess it, it comes down to that. In, in the end of the day, you can have a great idea, but if you don't find the right... And it, what you said earlier, you know, you might not necessarily find the protagonist's voice or even the right protagonist. I, I know people who've started a novel and then rewritten the whole thing from a different character's point of view because it didn't feel right. So and, if people have got an idea that's like... Um, like they've imagined, they've gone, okay, so I'm imagining this kind of like future society mm-hmm. where... Uh, music is illegal or something less yeah, crap yeah. than that you'll have like better things but you know like they've imagined this future dystopia yeah i suppose you know like if you came up with it if you were going okay so i i the hunger games i'm imagining this future society where um like there's limited resources and poor people are, are pitted against each other yep. mm-hmm. for the kind of like entertainment um and for the control of like a pampered ruling class mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that's an idea but there's no character in no, that no. so what do people need to do because they might go oh, well i don't then you know you could have that idea and conclude oh there's no character in this that i but that you haven't so how do you how could someone who's got an idea try and 
think about what is the most interesting character to follow in that. I think you've you've got to ask who has got the most to lose and or or who's got the most to gain. Who in the society is has got the most interesting story to tell. Now I think with the Hunger Games it's really interesting because I think right from the word go. Ever uh, what's Katniss? Katniss says it. Katniss uh, and her little sister. Pris, Prue, I can't remember the name. But anyway, her little sister, that uh, that emotional investment is is there straight away. So in that first, you know, but, you know, the opening of the story, you know two things. You know that she loves her family and you know that she would sacrifice her own life to save her young her you know her, her sister. Which makes us which which is a great way of also making us kind of like invested in her. Absolutely, like... yeah. So she's got a really interesting story to tell. She's got the most to lose because suddenly her sister's going to get taken off to the Hunger Games. Her sister's never going to survive, you know. She's too young. She will get blitzed, you know, in, within 5 minutes. So um so yeah, so we, we, that that is a a big stake in this story. So she puts herself forward. Uh, and I think, yeah, I, I, that was a really clever move, I think, on, on behalf of... Uh... But is it always um, who's got the most to lose? Because I want to like put as a counter-example to that, um, uh, the main character in um, in, a, in the Bartimaeus trilogy. Ah, yeah. Not yeah. Bartimaeus, but the, yeah, um, the boy, yeah. character who's, I think he takes on the name of... I can't remember his original name. I think he takes on the name no, of John. I remember, yeah. In it, but um, who is trained as a summoner of demons. Demon, now, he's actually yeah. a member of... He's actually kind of born into or sort of sold into the kind of... Uh, he's made a magician's apprentice. Yeah. And he sort of is then sort of like apprenticed into the ruling elite who are also the politicians of this kind of like alternate universe Great Britain. Now, he doesn't have the most to lose. He's not part of the um, of the underclass in Great Britain who don't have access to magic. He's not one of the demons who can kind of get uh, who can get summoned and trapped for for years and years and tortured. Mm-hmm. He actually, you know, in later books, he sort of has. A, a, he, there's loads of pressures on him, but he's not in that society. No, he's not the he's true. not the person. But he is exposed to and privy to and having to make decisions that go right down the fault line of that society's hypocrisy because at the beginning magicians are presented to us as a really super cool and they and they're defending like the world against uh, foreign enemies and also against demons and then as it goes on you realize it's an it's a brilliant satire of british politics and the british ruling class actually that um that they're that they're assholes and yeah. they're not as powerful as, as as they as they like to think, and they're also all at each other's throats. Yeah, yeah. Like I, 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 I and, and you, and, and so there's this. But what John, what we get from him is he's a character whose decisions are. He's he, he ends up being connected to the kind of moral heart of the yeah. country because his decisions are all about: is this right? How much do I want power? and control and not to feel afraid yeah um so it's not like he's got the most to lose but he most exemplifies uh the tensions that can like blow that is that fair maybe that's what he does that's maybe what that that's what the risk is that he loses that essential goodness that's been years since i've read the books i can't remember how he i can't remember how they start so I don't know what his personal stakes. Are. He starts off. He starts off um, summoning a demon way beyond his capacity to control, right? Because he is trying to get revenge 
on a on a, a, a like a a rival of his master who came round the house and um had John um thrashed magically thrashed in front of everyone <laughs> to teach him a lesson and you know just because he yeah. essentially stuck up for him himself um, and so we like hate the other person but immediately John having summoned this demon that is way beyond his capacity to control we know that any mistake whatsoever and the demon will immediately kill him yeah and yeah, anything that he does wrong the, the yeah, about the summoning anything, circle yeah, if he's done yeah. any wrong if the demon learns his true name yeah, that's right um, yeah. then then he's then he's he's screwed and so he's and if he gets found out that he's attempted to summon a demon he's so he's risking everything yeah <laughs> um, but then his you know he does have personal stakes he's got a lot you know he's an underdog within this society i know he's not one of the kind of uh, you know the poorer classes but he's still an underdog he could lose his position he could lose his life um he could lose his future as a you know as, as a magician so he, he does have things that he can lose i mean he's maybe not got the most he could lose but then maybe he does. No, actually, like, he can lose. He, he can lose his life yeah, and all the people he loves. Yeah. I suppose that is true. Now you say it, and actually, what I'm thinking of is as the story goes on and he gains more, mm-hmm. and he starts to make not great moral decisions. Yeah. Uh, that feeling of he, that he was oppressed, which is true at the beginning. Yeah. He's, he's more mm-hmm. or less he like doesn't know his parents. They sell him on. He has like a, a really like emotionally bereft like bankrupt he's treated with cruelty and it's horrible um you kind of carry that through and at first you start justifying the bad things he does because yeah. you're like no but he is protecting people and himself yeah, 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 yeah. and everyone else is an asshole and we need him to be in this position of power and that's actually yeah. what's quite interesting about it but then actually it takes then there's sort of a second character who comes in and because he's no He's no longer quite at the kind of like leading edge of that yeah, thing anymore. So yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. I suppose like who has the most to lose is quite like a high. Maybe you don't. I, I would say like I think it's a good thing, but it's like who. It's one element of it, isn't it? Yeah. I, I guess there's got to be more. And it, you know, because I guess the person in that story who has like, a lot at stake. A lot, yeah, a lot at stake. And I get, yeah, it comes back to personal. And pride stakes, can be it? something at stake, yeah, right? Yeah, like, of course, yeah. <laughs> like emotional pride, it can be. So it doesn't, it, I suppose it doesn't have to be from kind of like a sociological uh, analysis. No. Like who has got the most, because that person carrying the volcano, the papier mache volcano, yeah, exactly. has a lot to, yeah. to state. You can't like, you can't like go, well, what about someone in a war zone, asshole? It's like, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, obviously, but it's like in this moment and yeah. in this sort of slice of story, yeah, who has, you know, who has the most, who has the most at stake, but also who is going to be prepared to take action yeah. to address that. Because you could have someone in Furnace who is locked up, who's just like, I'm just going to keep my head down. I've yeah. got no way of getting out of here. That's, his, that's no exactly point. what his cellmate is. That's his cellmate's kind of who's reason a, to get through. And, yeah. and a great contrast to a main character, yeah, yeah. a great foil for them. But as a protagonist, you yeah. can feel a little bit trapped inside yeah. someone who won't, you know, won't do the stupid thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, it's like you say, it's a perfect foil because they bounce ideas off, don't you? And, and they are 
they are their kind of their conscience in in some ways. Yeah. Or, or you know, they're, they're the, the angel or the demon on the on their shoulder. And often they're right. They're like, yeah. this thing you're doing is going to make things worse, and they do it, and it does. Yeah. Yeah. But but we but we as readers, we want someone who's going to um, poison the wine. We want someone <laughs> yeah. who's going to go. You know, what? I'm going to pull the fire alarm to stop this thing from happening. Yeah. We yeah. want someone who's going to take those risks because those people are like the motors. They're the engines of story. Yeah. They're the kind of you want that kind of like. You, you want that person who's going to upend things in whatever way. They're going to be like, if not an agent of chaos, then an agent of change and action. Yeah. Um. And, and that often means that they're not going to be the wisest person no, in the story, right. right? And they can't be. You cannot have a character who's the wisest person. The same way you can't have a character who's the strongest person because nobody likes those people. Yeah. You can't have a perfect character. It's, I think that's the, probably the number one rule of characters, isn't it? If you put a, a, you know, a, a know-it-all, super strong character in a story... Nobody will care. Because, like, I was thinking about this when I was watching the latest season of Rick and Morty. <laughs> and, like, well, because, like, Rick is, like... So, for those of you who haven't seen it, you must watch it. But, like, it, you know, it's like it's like Back to the Future, but if they had a really horrible relationship. <laughs> and so Rick is, like, a genius alcoholic scientist. But he's, like, he's, ama- he's amazing at inventions. He manages mm. to, like, raise himself from being a... A, a sentient pickle through like killing progressively he like kills a, he bites a fly's head off and then uses his tongue to work its brain to move him around and then uses that to build a machine that then tempts a rat in that then he then grafts a rat's arms and legs onto his body so then he can fight and he uses like razor blades to fight loads and it's like an amazing scene but the reason it there's, so you can have a character, I think, who is really skilled in one area. Yeah, and we can yeah. take pleasure in that skill, in them taking risks and being skillful in one area. But the other thing is, like, the whole reason that Rick is doing this, and is in this problem, to start trouble to start with, and he's a pickle, is because he wanted to not go to family therapy because <laughs> his family are all falling apart. And so he turned himself into a pickle and then got washed down the drain. <laughs> and despite being excellent at all this stuff he is useful at vulnerability he's useless at vulnerability and showing emotion so you know you can have a character who's brilliant at one thing but then you need them to be flawed in another area because then occasionally you can stick them out of their comfort zone and you get super interesting scenes when you get that guy who's like amazing at like uncovering and 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 killing uh, like lizard men agents who've I- infiltrated the government. <laughs> it's really cool having the scene where they have to visit their mum in the nursing home, yeah, and they can't yeah, yeah, show yeah. their emotion. And we go, oh, you might be doing this because it's the oh, weirdly these kind of deadly missions are actually the only place you feel like a person. Yeah, where we see the real the real person. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So yeah, so if there are, yeah, you can have a character that's very good at some things, but they have to have emotional depth. I guess that, that's what it comes down to, which which I guess goes back for me anyway. The only way I can find that emotional depth is by rooting into their backstory and finding that history and finding the things that have given them uh, the, that, that depth. Um, but yeah, they have to have problems. Problems, it all comes down to problems, doesn't it, I guess? Um, problems of one kind or the other. I think that's, I think that might be a really good point to end on, actually. Yeah. I think we like kind of got down... So, so Proust's questionnaire would be, is like a, if people want a place to start kind of... Um, uh, you know, grilling their characters. That's one yeah. way that they can do it. And then lots of people have written 
different versions of it as well, right? Yeah, like a personality quiz. Just type, just Google personality quiz and you will and you will find something to use. Oh yeah, you can. I guess you can just do that, right? You can just take the personality quizzes that are on the internet. Yeah, for your character. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> do it for yourself too. It's really interesting. But for your character, it will tell you every. You can spend half an hour doing this, and you will. And actually, I mean, I, I use Proust questionnaire in school workshops all the time. And these are kind of you know 11, 12 year olds. I will set them these questions, and what they will do is they will come up with characters that have stories attached to them. And it's a great way, you know, if you're looking for an idea to find to find an idea because you suddenly get characters with these incredible histories. And then you start asking, "What if? What if this character was in, in this situation?" And suddenly, bang! You've got a, you've got a whole a whole world there. So yeah, absolutely, personality quizzes for your characters. You will feel a little bit insane sitting there <laughs> asking questions of a character that doesn't really exist. But honestly, I promise you, it will be worth it. Oh well, thanks very much for um, for this chat. It's been a really I really fun day, but my bum has gone a bit numb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has suddenly gone like as we've been talking. The temperature is in this room I've realised now it's essentially a greenhouse and yeah. it's got slowly more and more it's the uh, hate uh, yeah. of our passionate ideas yeah. Yeah. it's just the raw fires of yeah. creativity but um, thank you very much for talking I really really enjoyed that and um, if people want to uh, read your books say if when people want to read their, their books do you can you um, can you can you give us because I think we you know we've talked a bit about uh, Furnace and the Devil's Engine but like do you want to what, what, what books? There's the Furnace series, there's the Devil's Engine series. Yeah, so there's the uh, Escape from Furnace series, which is five books. Uh, there's the Fury, which is a standalone uh, horror novel. That's one about the zombies, about what would happen if you turned people into zombies. Um, uh, you know, just by your physical presence. And then there's the Devil's Engine trilogy, which uh, is out now as well, but only in the States. And the third book of that is out in October. And there's also The Inventors, which was my first book a long time ago. Wow. Uh, that I wrote, uh, which, uh, which is a, a, a duology, I think is the correct term about two young inventors trying to save the world from uh, uh, an evil genius. So yeah, plenty so cool. to choose from if you do. So All cool. available in in, uh, in bookshops and libraries. Yeah, and if you would like to submit your own work to the uh, podcast to uh, have uh, me and uh, my guests uh, chew over it and uh, see if we can spit out a few useful tips for making it uh, suck less and be super cool, then you can send that to me via my website. That's timclairpoet.co.uk. Also, there's a little, um, on the right-hand uh, uh, column, there's a little contact me link. You can click on that. Send me emails. You can also send me just emails with your queries, concerns, ideas, and um, effusive praise. <laughs> uh, um, thank you very much for coming on the show, Gordon. And it'll be lovely to speak to you again sometime. Definitely. Thank you, Excellent. Tim. Okay, so everyone else... Have a lovely week and I will see you soon. Bye-bye.